This podcast is the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Frank, Georgia. For information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Patrick went to 
asleep. And he had a dream. He believed God had given him a vision to escape, to leave slavery, to travel 200 miles to the coast of Ireland to catch a ship back to Britain. So he woke up and he obeyed the will of God. He left. He, he ran from his slaveholder. He traveled 200 miles. When he arrived at the port, there was the ship. The ship took him back to Britain and he was free. And so he began to, to place himself back into life and try to reacclimate himself with British society. But he had this nagging feeling in his heart that God wanted him to do something more. And he, he kept believing that God was calling him to do something more, to do something more. As he prayed and prayed and prayed, he felt the need to return to Ireland. And not only did he feel the need to return to Ireland, but he felt the need to return to Ireland so he could share his faith with all those that had never heard of him. Now, Patrick heard this missionary calling. He obeyed God, and he went back to Ireland, and he led a movement that would see the gospel spread not only around Ireland, but eventually throughout Europe. Now, we know him today as St. Patrick. Now, I want to read you an excerpt from the history speaking of Patrick in his life. Patrick died in 461 as the western part of the Roman Empire crumbled and darkness spread over much of Europe. The light of the gospel continued to shine brightly from remote Ireland. For the next 500 years, the youth of Ireland and their disciples fanned out across Europe, winning converts, making disciples, and multiplying missionary outposts. Wherever they went, they carried their books and their love of learning. They revitalized European culture and possibly saved civilization following the fall of the Roman Empire. One person, obedient to God, changed the world. You understand that? One person, obedient to God, changed the world. Now what if God was calling our church right now to go to the ends of the earth? What if God was putting in place, even now, the resources necessary to make that vision a reality? And what if God was calling you to give your life in service for that call? What if? If you have your Bibles, I want you to open this morning to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. This is week 6 of our Generation 1-8 sermon series. And we started this series several weeks ago based on Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's fascinating to me how God used Patrick, how 400 years before that God had used Paul and Barnabas, and God still uses people today. And so we've been thinking the last several weeks that some of you are embarking for the very first time on an endeavor to go on a first missionary journey. Some of you are praying for the first time in your life. Some of you are compelled for the first time ever to go. And so I've had all sorts of fascinating conversations with people. They go something like this, Adam, I'm called to go. I can't really explain it. I don't necessarily want to go, but I have to go. And I'm not really sure what that means in my life. And so as we think about our first missionary journey... I want to endeavor to study, as we've been doing the last several weeks, Paul's first missionary journey. Because I think there are a lot of things we can learn from him as a model for the way we conduct ourselves. 
And so a few weeks ago, we looked at Paul and Barnabas calling, how they were sent from Antioch by the church of Antioch. A couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 13, we looked at the opposition they faced. And two weeks ago, we looked at how Paul would preach the word. And so this morning, we're going to continue that study. But I want you to understand very importantly, before we continue this morning, God used one man in Paul. God used one man in Barnabas. God used one man in Patrick. God has used people all through the centuries to do everything he's called them to do. He may be calling you to do the same thing. And all he asks from you is your obedience. Now, when we left Paul and Barnabas a couple weeks ago, they were in Pisidian Antioch. And I think we've got our maps up, so if we can bring that third map up, we're going to trace again the steps of Paul and Barnabas into Cyprus and the Mediterranean into the mainland there of Perga, Pisidia, Antioch, and then Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Now it's interesting, we don't read much about Derby. The passage we're going to read about this morning is in Lystra. This is modern-day Turkey. I said a few weeks ago, if you wanted to visit the seven churches of Revelation, you could do it in Turkey. That's modern-day Turkey. If you look to the far left of the screen there, right under Lydia, you see that? You see the word Ephesus. Most of you are familiar with the book of Ephesus written to the Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians written the people of Ephesus. This is modern day Turkey. This is where Paul does his first missionary journey. So with that context in mind, we're going to take a look this morning in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. In Lystra, we just saw on the map, there was a man. There's sat a man, excuse me, let me start over. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up, and he began to walk. Now, this is an incredible account for us. This is the first time in our study, at least, that we've really examined a miracle of healing like this. And there's a very interesting pattern in Paul's missionary journey. There's a very interesting pattern in this section of Scripture that I think is a pattern and a model we need to look to and we need to understand as we begin our missionary journeys. And so the first thing I want to point out in this account, the first thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, number one, is there was a great need. Number one, there was a great need. Now let's understand this man's situation. The Bible says in Acts chapter 14, verse 8, In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. Now I want you to try to just imagine for just a few minutes... His life. Here's a man who could walk. Not only could he not walk, but he hadn't been able to walk since birth. He was crippled. And as we think about a man who has never walked, who's been crippled from birth, we think about all the things that he couldn't do. I mean, we take for granted the ability to stand and walk, don't we? You park your car on Sunday morning, you get out and you walk to the door. That's a blessing. Not everybody can do that. Think about the fact that he'd never been able to, to run through the yard with his children. He couldn't walk. He couldn't hold his wife's hand and, and walk together with her because he couldn't move. He couldn't spend time doing the things that we do, moving about as we do so often and take for granted because he was crippled. Now, we think about all the things he couldn't do, but here's something else we have to understand. In the first century, things were different than they are now. Because this man couldn't walk, he couldn't have a job. Because he couldn't walk, he couldn't work. And so the only way he could provide for himself was to beg. And we see this scripture in verse 8 that says that he sat there. It's probably the place he always sat. The, the scene would probably be he would be carried at some point by a friend or by a relative. He would be placed in the town and maybe a crossroad where a lot of people would walk during the day. 
He would stand there during the course of the day and he would beg. He would look for money, he would look for a handout, he would look for food, he would look for anything he could to help him survive. Now here's the thing we have to understand about need. It's universal, right? There was need in the first century. There is still need today. It's not uncommon for us at church to receive a phone call from somebody that needs help. We get those all the time. Somebody needs money or they need a bill paid or they need some sort of financial or physical help. We get those sort of calls all the time. It's not unusual for us to have somebody just drop in and ask for help. We had a lady just this week stop by our church. She's driving from Florida to Indiana and she needed money. She needed help. We see need all over the area, but it's not just limited to our area, right? We know that. We see need all over the world. The team that just went to Guatemala, I bet you saw some need in Guatemala. Uh, Romania, you didn't go to Guatemala. She said, I thought I just went to Romania. Maybe I went to Romania. There's, there's great need. Randy just got back, our Romanian team just got back from Romania this week. There's great need in Romania. There's great need in Guatemala. There's great need in Africa. There's great need in Asia. It's universal, right? There's, there's need all over the world. And so when we go, one of the things we're going to try to do is help with some of these needs. We're going to provide shelter to some of these people who don't have shelter. We're going to help with nutrition. We're going to help with medicine. We're going to help with education. You know, we have so many things in this country that it's hard for us to imagine what those needs must be like. You should do this one day. You should kind of make a list chronologically during your day of all the things that God has done for you and how blessed you are. So it starts something like this. If you wake up in the morning and you've got air conditioning and a bed to sleep on, you're in the minority of the world. you understand that? Very few people on this planet have those two things. If you get up and you've got a sink with water on the inside of your house that runs when you turn it, you're in the minority. Most people in the world don't have that. If you take a shower and it's inside your house and it's warm water, you're in the minority. Most of the world doesn't have that. You get in your car and you crank it up and you drive down the road, you're in the great minority. Most of the world doesn't have that. There are literally billions and billions of people in the world that don't have those simple things. You go to a job and make enough money to, to, to provide for your family, you're in the minority. You get three meals a day, you're in the minority. You get the opportunity to choose what those meals are and actually make a decision about what you want to eat every day based on your preference, and then you've got the money to pay for it. You're in the minority. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of the things that we've been given, the things that we have that so much of the world doesn't. One of the reasons we did this set was to give you a visual indication of what a lot of the world is in. I've had a couple different people ask me during the course of the summer, is that really what those houses look like? That's what they said. One person said, you know, that's not, that's not true. No, nobody really lives like this. Oh, they do. In fact, the hut I walked in in Guatemala looked very similar to this. It had a tin roof. It had a tarp wall. It had pallets for the front. And it had a dirt floor. That was their house. There's no carpet. There's no running water. There's no bed. They literally sat on the floor. The mom and dad had a, had a, had a nicer place to sit. They had a piece of plywood they slept on. That was their bed. See, the, the world lives oftentimes in great need. And we find this man in this passage of Scripture. And we try to understand what his life must be like, the need that he must have sensed, and all the things that he needed in his life. But here's the problem with this man. He had no real options, did he? I mean, he didn't have the opportunity to take medicine to help him correct whatever was going on with his legs. He didn't have the opportunity to go see a doctor or go to the hospital 
There were no surgical procedures that could have helped this man. See, in this context, in the first century, in this great need, this man had no hope. The only chance he had was a miracle. You understand that? He didn't sit there and think, you know, if I can just get that appointment with that doctor in a couple months. I know he's hard to see and I know he's really popular and he does a good job. If I, if I can just get that appointment sometime in the latter part of August, first part of September, then I'll be okay. He didn't have that option. He didn't think, if I can just make a little bit more money, then I can get that operation out of here. He didn't think, you know, if I can just get it straightened out with the insurance company, they just start covering this medicine now. He didn't think if, if that medicine would just get legalized and it would be okay for me to take it, that I could, I could feel better. He didn't have any of those things to fall back on. He had no hope. He needed a miracle. And it's fascinating to me when I read this passage of Scripture. I'm trying to put myself in this place. This is impossible. We can't fully understand it. Here's a man crippled. He's lame from birth. He's never walked. He's a beggar. He's got no hope. Now look what he does in verse 9. This is fascinating to me. Very first, two first words in the NIV. Acts chapter 14, verse 9. We see in Elisha, there was a man crippled in his feet. He was lame from birth. He never walked. Now verse 9. Look what he does. He listened. I just, I, I can't really understand that. He's not begging He's not screaming at the top of his lungs. He's not shaking Paul for money. Help me, help me, help me. What's he doing? He's, he's listening. Now, this is a little side note, but I think maybe we, we may ought to listen a little bit more to God, too, right? Instead of screaming. God, I need this. I need that. No, no, no. Maybe we should just listen. Verse 9 says, he listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed. Verse 10. And he called out. Now, listen to what Paul says. Stand up. On your feet. Now, this is something this man has never done before. It would be the equivalent if somebody told you, jump off that building and fly. Never done it. Paul says, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and he began to walk. So, see, here's the progression. Here's how God has worked. Number one, we see a great need. Number two, the second thing we see is a great miracle. You see, God has placed Paul in a situation where there was a great need. And through the power of the Holy Spirit working in his life, we now see a great miracle. Now you say, well, what was this guy listening to? The Bible says he listened to Paul as he was speaking. What, what's Paul saying that was so important? We know from our study already in the book of Acts, and we know from reading Paul, that any time Paul got a chance to speak, he spoke about Christ. He spoke about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we would see in this passage of Scripture, when he says he listened to Paul speaking, he's listening to the gospel. Now it's interesting, the progression here. This man listens to Paul as he's speaking, so he's hearing the gospel. And the Bible says when Paul looked at him, Paul saw that he had faith. He said, well, where did this man's faith come from? He's begging, he's crippled, he's, he's never been able to walk. Paul walks into the city, he begins to preach, and this man listens, and all of a sudden he's got faith. Well, I'll remind you, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this, Faith comes from hearing the message. Let me say that again, you ready? Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now, it's easy and kind of interesting for us to focus on this man's faith, because it was his faith that ultimately healed him. But here's where you insert yourself in the story. You ready? I don't think any of us are beggars on the street. None of us can understand exactly what this man went through. But here's where you insert yourself. I want you to think for a minute about Paul's faith. Paul was called of the Lord to go. So you know what Paul did? He went. 
Paul was called to sail and to go to all these areas, and we've seen them happen. He was called to preach the gospel, and so Paul preached the gospel. Ultimately, Paul was obedient and faithful to Christ. Now, here's what that means. For this man sitting on that street corner for the first time in his life, the, call, the first time in his life he hears the gospel, because Paul was obedient, this man heard the gospel. You see the connection there? If Paul had not been obedient, if Paul had not exercised his faith in Christ and done everything God had called him to do, this man would have never heard the word. And when this man heard the word, it increased his faith. It gave him the ability not only to be healed physically, but to be healed spiritually. You see, it's easy for us to think about the miracles that God is going to perform. But you know what? Before he can perform those miracles, he needs you to be faithful. You understand that? It's easy for us to think about all the Holy Spirit's going to do. And the Holy Spirit can do things without us, but you know what? God calls you to be a part of it. And that call in your heart right now to go, you have no idea where that may lead. See, it's easy for us as we've got the whole picture of Scripture. We can, we can trace it back from the miracle to the man hearing to his faith to Paul preaching to Paul being called to Paul's uh, encounter with God on the road to Damascus. We know the whole story, but Paul didn't. Paul was walking one step at a time being faithful day after day after day after day. See, we never know where our faith is going to lead. We never know when we start this journey exactly where God is going to lead us. But here's what we do at the beginning of the journey. I can't do that, God. I'm afraid. I'm fearful. I don't know that I've got the money to go. I don't know that I've got the ability to go. What am I going to say when I get there, God? I just don't know if you can use me. And so we take this fear and we take this weakness and we let it kind of derail our faith. But here's what God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He's speaking to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient. For you, now here it is, ready? For my power is made perfect in weakness. So when you don't think you can go, you know what that is? That's the devil trying to stop you from doing everything God's called you to do. When you're fearful of making that trip, that's the devil trying to convince you that God can't actually use you. Because you know what happens? God sees where you're going to go. And in Paul's case, God saw this man on the street who was begging and needed a miracle. And God said, you know what? One day, Paul, I'm going to put you in that place. But before you can get there, you've got to get here. And then you got to get here, and then you got to get here. But see, we start back here and we say, you know what, God, I just can't do it. We have no idea what God's got for us down there. We have no idea the steps of faith that God will take us upon to lead us to that place. Now, here's the difficulty we have in the Western world in America. we got so much stuff, we don't have to worry about this faith, do we? We say, God, I don't really have to rely on you to take care of me because I've got my job. That'll take care of me. I don't have to rely on you for shelter, Lord, because I've got plenty of money. We've got a nice house for our family. I don't need to have to think about those kinds of things. God, I don't have to rely on you for a meal every day. I don't have to really pray that you're going to provide manna or whatever words you want to use that God's going to provide you. Because we just take the money in our checking account. We go out and eat whenever we want to. God, I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to me when I get old because I've got a retirement plan. God, I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to worry about that because I've got all these things. And here's what we do. We say, God, I don't really need you. And we put our trust in the things of the world. God said, no, 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 no. This down here, this is where I want you to go. Just take these steps. One at a time, walk a little bit closer and a little bit more in faith. And when you get here, you'll see and you'll understand. But we get derailed. God, I don't need to do this because I've got all this. I've got all these things. God, I don't need to worry about these. I don't need faith in you. I need faith in this. Some of you are saying, wow, I've never thought about it like that. Adam. I, I, I am down here. And I'm kind of on the starting point, and I'm not quite sure what I want to do. And I feel God leading me, but I'm not really sure 
what I need to do. Well, God gives us a couple options in scriptures. You can either go or you can sin. Those are the two options, right? There's not really a middle ground. God's going to call some people to go, and those that he doesn't call to go, he's going to call to sin. You say, well, how can, I, how can I be a part of this? Well, I've been talking about this for a few weeks, but I'm going to retell this story, really, because I feel like I've been telling it. I want you to hear it again. I've been talking for several weeks about this August 12th Generation 1-8 Missions Offering Day. On that one day, we're going to ask you to give an offering to fund all of our mission work for the next year. Now, when I was in Guatemala and praying about the vision of missions in our church, I felt God just told me, you need to do this. You need to do this on this one Sunday. You need to take up this one offering on this one Sunday. It'll fuel everything you need for the next year. And I came back from Guatemala thinking, maybe we can raise twenty-five dollars or $30,000. That's what I thought on that one Sunday. After a couple weeks of preaching, some of you heard the story, but I'm going to tell it again just because I want to tell it. Some of you hadn't heard it. But after preaching for a couple weeks on mission giving, I had a man walk up to me, not even a member of our church, and he said, how much do you think you're going to raise on that Sunday on August the 12th? I said, I have no idea. I really don't know. I mean, I'm praying about it, but I, I don't know. I said, we raised $100,000 for the driveway. I don't know. I said, I haven't given a number. I'm probably not going to give a number. I'm going to ask people to pray about it. I don't know what we're going to raise. He said, well, here's what I want to do. Here's how God's leading me. Whatever you raise on that day, I'll match it up to $100,000. And so my brain just kind of expanded a little bit, right? Okay, God, so you're doubling whatever. I get that, right? You're doubling the vision. You're expanding the vision. It's a little bit bigger than I thought it was. A few weeks later, I have another member of our church call me and say, I want you to come see me. We've got some money we've been sitting on and been praying about it for a, for a long time. And we just didn't know what to do about it. But as you preached about missions, we felt compelled and we had to give it. And we want to give you $100,000 to go towards mission work. So see, we've got $100,000. We've got a matching grant now of $100,000. We've got $200,000. Now just let that soak in for a second. $200,000 has already been given. And we haven't asked the church for a penny. Now, see, God's up to something big. That's kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. So, so you've kind of got two, two places to stand now on this August the 12th offering. Here are your two options. Some of you will fall here and you'll say, you know what? Whew, I'm glad I don't have to give now. Oh, man, they've raised so much money now. They don't even need me to give anything. I am off the hook. Now, I'm going to be praying for you because there's some of you in this spot. <laughs> Here's where I find myself over here. God, you are doing something incredible in this church, and I'm going to be I mean, you are literally at work. I mean, when's the last time you heard of this kind of stuff happening? People just giving money, that kind of money. And we just got $200,000 just dumped on our church. All of a sudden, we haven't even taken up a penny from the congregation. See, God is at work, and I want to be a part of that because I believe at some point in the future, we're going to look back at that moment and say, that was the moment God did something incredible in our church. And I was part of that. I gave a little bit. It wasn't anything compared to what these other people give me. It's what God led me to give and what I could give. And he blessed that. Because, see, with money like this, we, we talk about forming a trust fund. So that literally years down the road, we're still drawing money from this fund. I mean, you literally can give money that will affect your children and maybe your grandchildren. It's possible if God continues to bless us that your grandchildren will take mission trips based on this offering on August the 12th. Do you understand that? That's what God's doing. And that's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want my kids to be a part of. I want them to experience what God's doing. It's not often we see the hand of God that evidently working among us, but we see it now. And all we got to do is have the faith to believe that God is going to do what he called us to do. See, we see that faith in this man. Paul says, stand up. And at that, the man doesn't question 
He doesn't wonder what if. The Bible says at that the man jumped up and he began to walk. Now miracles are an incredible thing. And you can spend a lot of time reading about miracles in the New Testament. In fact, I had a mindset when I was going to preach this sermon. I wanted to list every miracle in the New Testament. There's not time for that. I would be here all afternoon listing the individual miracles. All the people that were healed and could walk again and were blind and could see. And, and they were dead and were risen from the grave. But I want to give you very quickly as we think about miracles. Three reasons God uses miracles. This is important. Three reasons God uses miracles. Number one, he does it first and foremost to glorify himself. That's why he does it. He uses miracles to glorify himself. When we see God doing something incredible, something that cannot be explained like this often we've already seen so far. When we realize it's only God, then he receives the glory. You understand that? God says, I'm going to do these things in your midst so you can see it and I'll receive glory. And you'll know why anything you did because you never could have accomplished this. So you know, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that this is able to be accomplished. Number one, to glorify himself. Number two, he provides these miracles to meet human needs. There's great need all over the world. People need to be healed. People need to, to be made whole again. All sorts of things that God does to meet human needs. And then thirdly, he does these miracles. He allows these miracles to happen to expand the kingdom of God. God says, I'm going to do incredible things and you're going to see it. It's going to provide for your need. And when you see it, you're going to glorify me. And at that point, you're going to understand that I am who I say I am. And when you see my power and you see my glory, you're going to come to know me through salvation. The kingdom of God will expand. I said, what does that mean for our church? Are you saying that when we go that we're going to have to provide miracles? I, I'm not saying any of that. There's all sort of debate about what the Holy Spirit can do and what he can't do and what he's doing and what he's not doing. I'm not going to debate that. Here's the bottom line for us. You ready? We need to be faithful to pray and seek God and share the gospel. The Holy Spirit can take care of himself, I promise. You don't need to worry about what God's going to do. You need to worry about what you're going to do. God's called you to go and he's called you to be obedient. He may know down there he's going to do a miracle for you, but you know what? Right now he just needs you to take this one step. And then the next, and then the next. If we'll be faithful to everything God has called us to do, the Holy Spirit can take care of the rest. Now, verses 11 through 13, I'm going to summarize them very quickly this morning as we, as we kind of bring this thing to a conclusion. A very interesting thing happens in verses 11, 12, and 13. Paul does this incredible miracle with the power of the Holy Spirit. This man stands up and walks. The people witness it, and they believe that gods have come down into their village. That's what they say. In fact, if you were read 11, 12, and 13, they think that Paul and Barnabas are gods. They think Zeus is upon them. Now look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, when they heard that these people thought they were gods, they tore their clothes, they rushed into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, and that's important, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, and the sea and everything in them. Now here's the progression. There's a great need. Ready? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God performs an incredible miracle. And then once that miracle is performed, number three, we see the message of salvation. That's how it works. There's a need. There's a miracle. And then ultimately there's a message of salvation. Paul says, because of what we've done, I want you to know we're human just like you. But you need to turn to the living God. We're here to share the good news. You've seen all that God can accomplish. You've seen his power. You've seen his ability. Now we want you to know who he is. We want you to know his love and his peace and his hope and his grace and his mercy. 
See, here's the beautiful thing about preaching good news. The message that Paul preached in the first century is still the message that we preach today. It hasn't changed. The same thing that Paul told those people in that little village all those centuries ago is the same thing we're going to tell people in Romania. It's the same thing we're going to tell people in Guatemala. It's the same thing we're going to tell people in Zambia and in Africa and in Southeast Asia and to the ends of the earth. The message doesn't change. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. See, that's the bottom line truth. There are all sorts of lies and all sorts of other people that will tell us other things, but that is the truth. If we'll confess our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. You know, there's still need all over the world. God is still in the business of using people and calling people to do all the things that He's called them to do, incredible things through His power. And He's giving us the calling right now. I believe that in our church. He's giving us the resources that we need to accomplish that vision. He's given us the vision. So here's where we begin to ask ourselves, do we trust Christ enough? Do you trust Him enough? Do you trust Him enough to lead you down that path of faith? Do you trust Him enough to lead this church? Will you follow Him to the ends of the earth? Let's pray. Father, You are incredible and powerful, and we love You, Lord. And we know that You know the beginning from the end, Father. You know exactly the path that You laid out for us. But Father, forgive us because we're weak and we don't. In our flesh, we're afraid and we're concerned and we don't know. So, Father, I pray right now you would set aside all that fear, all that anxiety, all the things that would keep us from following you, Father, and give us the strength and the faith and the courage to step out, Lord, and take that first step in the direction you want us to go. To set aside the things of the world and not to focus on those things, not to place our faith and our hope and our trust in those things, but instead to place our faith and our hope and trust in you and you alone and that you do incredible things in our midst for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for a couple minutes. Maybe you want to pray about your involvement in missions. Maybe you want to join this church. Or maybe for the first time you've been confronted with the fact that you don't know Jesus Christ. And you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior. This is your time right now. Thank you. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia, or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.